you again um this is the little class right this is the little class the little one the little seven one seven of them right there are seven correct seven. um so i have some i have some news i don't know where to start so first of all we have our uh, news we have our we have our connie update the survey of the argentines <laughs> i like how this podcast has regular connie updates <laughs> connie update well, she's given me good. Uh, she's been giving me good, good Argentina info. So she did a very informal, small survey of her family about the arms deal from the old wise board that we read right, last right, time. Right, scandals. Scandals, right? And the argument, one of the arguments in there was that that scandal was so complicated that no one actually really had any idea what was happening, and no mm -hmm. one cared. Mm -hmm. So she asked in various family members. One family member just basically thought that Argentina had betrayed Peru, who had been a good ally. I see, I see. One family member was kind of confused about what was all going on and okay. mostly thought it had to do with Croatia and seemed okay. to be like mixing up a variety of different okay. things about it. Okay. And her mom, always my favorite, um, basically was like, uh, of course I didn't go uh, uh, like a rat's ass about it, except she said it's kind of gave yeah. it to me in Spanish. Yeah. But it was basically like, this has nothing to do with me and why should I care about it? Yeah. So it was an awesome spectrum of sort of confusion and not, and like just actually giving the I don't care. So that's our man uh, on the street from Argentina. A little bit of Argentina. anecdotal confirmation yeah. of Wiseport. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. anyway, so that's that's cool. the update. I also finally looked up who published this edited volume for wonderful, you. It wonderful. Was, it's from University of Pittsburgh. Pitt. Um, 
Yeah. Pit is a good Latin. Yes. I don't know yeah. if it still is, but it, in the past anyway, yeah. and I assume still, uh, was always had a strong Latin American studies kind yeah. of Latin American. Always the really deep cuts. Those yeah. like um, so second anyway. tier university presses, always the deep cuts. Yeah, well, and they just have had as a university a strong Latin mm-hmm. American studies kind of Good vibe. human rights stuff. Good human yeah. rights. You know, we had a, a colleague there, Tamara Malloy, did a postdoc. Post-doc oh, did there. she? Yeah, right? that's how she got that job at Colorado. Nice. Uh, anyway, this chapter, speaking of people we know, uh, UNC Uh-oh. PhDs. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Who is this? Claudio Fuentes. Claudio Fuentes. I don't know Claudio. So I met Claudio probably on a variety of occasions, but down in Chile when I was down for uh, Emmy's thing. Cool, so cool, cool. Claudio is an awesome guy. Um, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about sort of an update on what he's been up to which when we finish up this. Um, what has your favorite political scientist been up to? Oh, it's actually kind of fun. Cool. Uh, it's like a continuation of this. Anyway, so this chapter is called um, Violent Police Passive Citizens. Mm. It's on Chile. Um, it looks at why Chile, um, and here's a quote, a country that is facing increasing problems of police violence has experienced progressive deterioration in the role of organized groups in civil society demanding accountability over police institutions. Okay. Um, one reason that this question is particularly noteworthy is that when democracy was reestablished in Chile in, the, in 1990, um, the human rights movement there was relatively uh, prominent. It had international recognition. Okay. It was housed especially at the in this sort of dictatorship period in the Catholic Church. There was a very... The human rights tradition, yeah. Yeah, a very power, powerful mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. human rights uh movement coming out of the church. There was other groups too, but it was principally this this church movement. Um, and so, so yeah, so this is sort of a question, a little bit of the puzzle is, okay, Chile, like Argentina, comes out of the dictatorship with a human rights tradition. Um, unlike Argentina, though he doesn't make this comparison, the Chileans don't kind of push a active human rights. Huh, Okay. So that's, uh, okay. I think, the summary. Okay. Um, and after you read the first quote, I will talk a little more. All right. All right. So this is from page 143 to 144. There's a couple things mixed in here. Looks like a lot of Heather's paraphrasing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know how you're going to find the quotes if that's what you're looking for. Um, early on, the human rights group played a role in the release of political prisoners It was of concern to authorities who had strong commitment to reestablishing the rule of law in the country. And the political prisoners were a clear example of due process violations. But they were also pushed by human rights groups who were holding public demonstrations, lobbying congressional deputies, and denouncing the situation to the international community. Sounds like a tough political situation. Right, but one in which we actually see active human rights groups and success, right? Um. The human rights groups win. The release yeah. of the political prisoners. Yeah, you get a big release of political prisoners, right, that we see the sort see. of, that so that there happens. was there was an internal kind of, as we've been talking about in a lot of these things lately, there oh, was, yes, an, I see. I, right, there's yeah. an internal elite game, right, that's mm-hmm. clearly happening, and, and not even game in a negative way, right, but that there are politicians committed to democracy Sets of incentives, and right? establishing, you know, sort of democratic precedent mm-hmm. and institutions and whatnot going along with some mobilizing human rights activists that are pushing for the release of these political prisoners. And so you actually have this, you know, culminating in a success. 
Okay. Okay, so this is our opening where we're going to think about where there was success and where there wasn't. The next case that um, Fuentes gives us is the case of this um, arrest on suspicion clause, it's called. So it's arrest basically, on suspicion, like yeah, stop so like, and frisk. Basically, right, yeah, just arrest Chilean whoever stop and frisk. for whatever reason, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, so this was also common under the dictatorship, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so there's this sort of effort to, to change this. So initially there was quite a bit of human rights mobilization around this um, in the early 90s. Um, protests and organizations. Yeah, protests, maybe small, but, you know, still kind of regular. There was like a couple of years of decent mobilization, okay. regular mobilization that was happening around this. Um, yet, and the, eventually there is reform, okay? So this clause does eventually get, mm-hmm. you know, this like whatever, it gets abolished. You can't do this anymore. Okay. But that doesn't happen until 1998. So there's actually a big gap between the sort of mobilization that's happening in like 93, 94 kind uh-huh. of period and then the, the actual win. A lagged effect. Well, or, or maybe no effect. No effect. Right? So basically okay. by the time that um, that this goes into Congress, the human rights organizations have, you know, quote, recognized their insignificant role in lobbying Congress regarding this bill. Um, so they have almost nothing to do with it. And okay. even while this reform is getting made, um, police violence is on the rise, right? So, like, there's starting this kind of formal well, legal starting, change mm-hmm. that seems to be actually having no on-the-ground impact. Right. And the human rights organizations, in spite of the fact that they had been trying to reform this earlier, had had no success in so years later. So this has no later. organic connection to society. Seems, Seems right. unrelated, right? Okay. Um, so then... This is setting us up for, like, the increasing sort of disjuncture between the human rights groups and that, this sort of issue of police accountability. Okay, so then Fuentes presents us with some evidence here. Um, He says on page 151, while citizens were presenting an increasing number of suits against the police and the social context was increasingly problematic, human rights organizations did not document the increase. The evidence suggests, first, that citizens were not channeling allegations, these are allegations of, uh, like, police abuse, through human rights organizations. And second, that the main human rights organizations were not even aware of this increasing level of complaints. And if they were, did not spend time gathering the necessary information to make a more compelling argument before government and media. Okay, so let me see if I understand. So... There's increasing police violence. Mm-hmm. And there has been six years prior, and since the dictatorship, there has been a relatively active human rights so civil society. During the dictatorship, mm-hmm. there was a human rights movement that was important. Okay. Post-dictatorship... It seems to have waning importance or no importance at it all. It seems to have but had still waning... seems to be active in some... It's, it's had waning importance, but had some early post-dictatorship victory. Right. And then a quick fall off. Something like this, yeah. Okay. So this set of organizations and this popular sector of civil society, the human rights community, seems to have completely disconnected from formal politics, but also seems completely disconnected from society insofar as people don't think of them as relevant 
right. organizations to report police violence to. Right. Is Absolutely. that right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And so Fuentes' question, what the chapter really explores, is why. They're no why, longer vernacular authorities. Why is it that the human rights organizations in, our, in, sorry, in Chile are... Yeah. ...are failing at this role of social yeah. accountability, right? Yeah. This is an edited volume about yeah. social accountability. Yeah, interesting. And in this, and in this cool. case, it is particularly one cool. where that role is abdicated or not taken up or however we want to describe it. So it's it's the absence of this kind of interesting accountability. Interesting. So you ready for me to... Go for it. Move this along. All right, this is from page 153. The nature of the tran this is uh, under the heading, the nature of the transition. So these are our reasons. These are his reasons. Ah, I've given I see. you, I've given you a heading and then a quote. So the transition, uh, one possible reason is the nature of the transition. I think he from, says these are all kind of working yeah, together. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome comparativist yeah. move there. Yeah, all of it. It's all of it. it. Well, I could give you his framework, and I've condensed a few of them, but he's basically doing, uh, for the social movements kind of thing, a little bit of a political opportunities or not, Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. what is happening there, what's the structure, and then a little on the sort of what would go probably under the resource mobilization school of like agency of the organization. Right. So features of the state and features of the organization that lead to this lack of... effectiveness right right okay okay so one part of the political opportunity structure correct the nature of the trend see i know this stuff yeah i know this stuff uh the the nature of the transition uh chile's transition to democracy has been correctly depicted as a controlled or negotiated process from above political authorities compromise themselves to search for those responsible for crimes committed to committed during the military regime to the extent that this would not do harm, would not harm the stability of the transition process. Given this context, the human rights group's agenda was to exert pressure in areas where the state was unwilling to do so, solving the situation of political prisoners and searching for truth and justice in human rights violations. In this sense, the nature of the transition imposed a clear agenda related to the country's legacy rather than to new emerging social conflicts. Okay, that was pretty dense. Let me work my way. Yeah. Work my way through it. So it was a negotiated process from above. So basically this means that unlike in some of the other countries where you've seen transitions to democracy, in the case of Chile, it was very, very much controlled by the former dictator, right? The former dictatorship. So Pinochet or right. Pinochet, depending on how you right. say it. Okay. Um is, is in tight control of the transition, remains in, in politics, the right Is it stays, seen as a transition at the time? Oh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. Okay. But okay. a transition that where the right is extraordinarily strong coming out of the transition. Okay. The military very strong. Okay. The right very strong. We've got to make sure that the rest of society doesn't hold us too accountable for the atrocities we committed. So Not gonna, just no. that. Like, okay. yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of amnesties and, right. you know, okay. obviously. Okay. Right. So, and like, you know, Pinochet made himself, he was like the commander of the armed forces. He was, he was a senator wearing those for hats, life. Right? I think he did wear quite a I think of him as wearing the hats, yeah. like uh, Navy um, hats. Yeah. Yeah. Like Admiral. He didn't always wear them, but there are some that's famous, of him. there's that's famous, of him. some famous pictures of him. Yeah, that's probably why. Um, so yes, that. 
but also they set up through the constitution that he made all kinds of ways to have the right have far more outsized power than <laughs> the votes would give them. Right. So they had an electoral system that was called the binomial electoral system. Um, okay. Which basically meant that when, so we say this like Senate seats, if you had a district that had, you know, like you were going to get two people elected. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's say that really it's an overwhelmingly democratic district. Let's say we're talking about New York, right? And you would have two Democratic senators mm-hmm. ju- if you just had elections. Right. What the binomial system did was say that, okay, so the first senator could be a Democrat, but for the second senator to be a Democrat, they had to get twice as many votes as their opposition party. Weird. Right? So it was like you had yeah. to have such an overwhelming left yeah, really presence to actually get both seats. And otherwise, basically, the second seat always went to the right. Right. Because it would be Correct. like the second best party. I'm not sure if I've technically described that, but that's basically, basically how it worked. Idea. Right? Was okay. that like you just okay. constantly were giving. So in all kinds of ways, the right maintained a lot of power. So that, that means transition. that in formal politics within institu- within the elite institutions – the ability of opposition parties or not uh, 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 the ability of the left parties, the let's left just say, coalition, the left coalition to make very much progress toward left goals is they've got a hand tied behind their back. They've maybe got both hands, basically both tied hands behind tied behind, behind them. We'll let you in here, but we're going to kind of march you in here at bayonet point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, then, um, that means that the human rights groups were exerting pressure where the left within politics could not. Correct. So the left maybe wasn't strong enough to out, to, to overwhelm the constitutional protections that the right was given. The military would have killed them. Okay. Well, that was the fear. Right. That was of course the fear. I mean, a justifiable fear. Yeah. And so, but they are still, have the numbers, right? Right. So the human rights groups are essentially doing the things that a, a more empowered left in government would do. Yeah. Is that is I that mean, the idea? Yeah, though in the Chilean case, so I mean if we looked at the Argentinian example, the human rights groups were much more powerful post-transition and partly the the way that that military dictatorship fell was in the embarrassing Falklands or Malvinas war that right. has come up in here before. Right. Um, With all the sheep. Yes. Right. And they were very embarrassed out of the, it was an embarrassing loss and the economy was in shambles. This was not the way that it happened in Chile. So there right. was like far more pushing in Argentina than there was in Chile. But insofar as there was pushing in Chile, there was some, that was like coming to some degree from outside because there was nobody in government that could really talk about holding those torturers and those, you know, to account because they were afraid that they would just be cooed. You know, they were being they were still within they were still basically holding power. It was like a, a much more constricted and controlled opening to yes. opposition parties. Yes. Right. Yeah, I mean they won, right? But they yeah, but there's still so much of that institutional legacy that is there and humans right like pinochet is still a very active figure in government after until his death really wow um wow he died like in 2000 and we were in grad school when he died yeah wow yeah i had no idea 
He wasn't exiled, or he was exiled, though, right? No. No, no, no. he was back. He died in Chile. He was in. He was arrested in England. That's right. By a That's Spanish right. warrant, and there was this like period of attempting to, but then they like he ended up getting out of it because he was like too old to stand trial. Jesus. So okay, England wouldn't send him. Wouldn't send him to Spain. They sent him back to Chile on like humanitarian grounds. England wouldn't send him to Spain, where he was supposed to have been held. Spain. How's it? What's it called? Extra. Spain Extradition. like sets up the extradition. They like go on the orders when he's going to have some kind of surgery in England. So then he's like on house arrest in England while Spain is trying to get him extradited to Spain. Uh-huh. And then, then it becomes an, a big diplomatic issue. He was, he was issue. going to stand trial in Spain. Correct. So I this see. activist Spanish human rights judge okay. like makes a it figures out a way to get him on international crimes that l- allow Spain like that that allow anybody to have jurisdiction. There were some Spanish mm-hmm. citizens killed during the right. dictatorship. And okay. so he was able to Interesting. Like, so he's gonna try to take Pinochet to trial. I think wow. his name was Garcon. Wow. Okay, so this is that's interesting. So yeah. that despite this level of scrutiny and attempted accountability. And he like goes back home goes and back. when he dies it's like a huge, like very you know, it's, it's still a decent chunk of the country mourn his death Jesus and like, like yeah. this is interesting. This is interesting to think about. Yeah. In our contemporary moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to yeah. think about. Well and it fits with I mean it actually fits in with what we're this yeah. context of understanding what happens in Chile post dictatorship is like actually crucial to this, to this story, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that's helpful. That's helpful. So uh, 154 and 155, exaggerated presidentialism, another part of the political opportunity structure. Another thing relevant to Pinochet, right? Yeah. So it's set up, I mean, all of Latin America tends to be hyper-presidentialist, um, outsized uh-huh. power to the executive branch. Right. Um and so this is true of the president, whoever they are, right? So now it's a left president, but it's that all those institutions around it. So like legislation rarely starts in the legislature. It almost always starts okay. in the executive branch, something like 80%, maybe even more of the legislation starts in the executive branch. So you have a weak legislature. Well, what does that mean if you're a social movement? Right? Well, it means if the executive's agenda conflicts with human rights groups' interests, the human rights group's ability to influence the political process is seriously diminished. Indeed. That's on and, page 154 to 155. And if what we're talking about is police accountability, and partly the executive doesn't want to piss off the military, which is sort of the police goes through military courts and all mm-hmm. this kind mm-hmm. of stuff, then, right, you have... You're yeah, have police maybe, accountability is executive accountability. Right. Most places, the police are... Well, and this is going to be, again, if we're thinking of the power of the right, even if you have a real reformist leftist in office, it's going to still be challenging during the 90s and early 2000s. Really, through... Right, the binomial system finally is done in 2015. Wow, okay. Right, and Pinochet is out in 90. Wow, wow. So it takes That's, a long time. His power has to really wane. He has to die before they're able to start dismantling some of that. That's a really weird And that's system. under Bachelet when you have actually a socialist in, on the top of the ticket of the left coalition. Weird. Weird. That's really weird. Yeah. Instead of, it's a weird politics. This is weird politics for sure. That's weird politics. I mean, cool. 
I mean, everywhere is weird, but like that's a that's a cool weird one. All right, page one fifty nine. High levels of police autonomy, which I guess is again part of the political opportunity structure. Right. Yep. We're still in political opportunity structure. The uniformed police in Chile are probably one of the most autonomous police forces in the hemisphere. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. For example, the president cannot independently remove the chief of police, and police can only be prosecuted in military courts where the legal processes clearly benefit the police. Wow. Yeah. So they're basically, that's interesting, right? So, I mean, they are functionally militarized. Right, I mean, their judicial process is... Right, and military, yeah, they're not judged by civilians. They're, they're functionally not, you know. military. Yeah, and right? in a certain regard, they're not even a rule, it's not even civilian rule of even the police, right? right. If you, the president, right. the president can't, can't dismiss the... I mean, they can kind of, but it has to go through like a variety of other approvals, you know, it's not and just... And now, was uh, that... Was that um, a constitutional reform that was part of the transition? Well, the the, okay, so this, this po these police in Chile, this branch of the police call it Carabineros, and they basically came over from the dictatorship with very little mm -hmm. change, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So they, yeah. Crazy. So they were, they were enforcers of the dictatorship. Yes, they were police. They were right. the same. Enforcers were... of the dictatorship and yeah. were unchanged. So essentially you have like the front lines of the dictatorship stick around. Right. Right. And if we're thinking about Wild. like, I mean, the sort of autonomy of the military, and I don't know if this has changed actually. I, I kind of doubt it. So but... we would say that Chile is still kind of in the transition. Well, I mean, I think that that transition paradigm is dead in political science. Transition paradigm is dead. Okay. Oh, cool. Cool. I, think... I won't tell my senior who's writing about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that there was this idea for a while that like they all of these countries were going to transition into something that, which now this is laughable looking at our democracy, but that would look like Western democracies, right? And right. I think that it became right. clear at some point that, like, no one was like, I'm going to give some right. scare quotes to transition, right? No right. one's transitioning anywhere. Like, this is just what these democracies look like, right? Right. Um, right. So this one has a very powerful, right, military yeah. and police, and that comes out of this, you know, the legacies, right, that the historical legacies have created this. And, I mean, one of the things that I was going to say is, like, if we're thinking about the autonomy of the course of apparatus mm -hmm. so chile produces copper it's a huge mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. money maker for mm -hmm. the chileans yeah They've i remember been... when those miners were stuck yes that that's was right. world news that's a feel right. good world news story right it was yes because they were um, rescued well, that's why it felt good yes yes wouldn't have been no it was it juxtaposed with wasn't that around the same time of the haitian or no that was the chilean earthquake and the haitian earthquake anyway um what i was going to say was that that copper revenue, there's a certain percent of it goes straight to the military. Get out. It's not budgeted Get by out. civilian authorities. Holy like it just goes. Smokes. And I don't know whether that's been now reformed too, but... Um, that's crazy. So they're a copper gang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just get part of it. So it's like, you know, part of Dang. civilian control of militaries is that the civilians control the budget. But that was not fully true in the Chilean case, hmm. at least back when I was in grad school. I would have to recheck mm -hmm. to see that's whether fascinating. or not some of that has been taken away. But That's fascinating. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like, and this. like I said, I mean, I can't imagine that reform happened. You know, if we think the binomial situation, the that those rules changed in 2015, then I mean, it would be we'd, we'd be talking about in the last 
five to ten years that any mm -hmm. of these changes we would imagine happening. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, after Pinochet's death and political time, man. Yeah. So anyway, it's so a that's different clock. Yeah. Cool, cool. I like this. I'm gonna keep going. Keep on. Uh, pages 162 to 163. Let's do another reason. Uh, well, the reasons for what now? It's the, the decline of the importance of the human rights. Just civils, why they are It's basically, the question is really like, why are they not an institution of social accountability? Okay. Or a force for social accountability? Some of it is the strength of the right as well. Right, There's yeah. 162 to 163. That's kind of what we've been talking about. It so. is. I mean, it's like kind of all, this is particularly, he's looking here at the media. I see, okay. More directly, I guess. Okay. But, um, the right put public delinquency on top of the agenda and are able to push a law and order to push a law and order framework because they control basically all national newspapers. So they pretty much control the public discourse. Yeah. The right. Right. So there was the story about why they're obsessed with public delinquency that Fuentes tells. Um and I mean, I don't know enough about this to know how much, but was, I forget who, but some, you know, rich person's kid was kidnapped or some rich mm -hmm, person, mm -hmm. somebody was kidnapped and then they become obsessed with like this like delinquency. And even though in this era, the like stats didn't bear it out that like crime was really a problem or crime was rising or whatever, it became like this like outsized sort of focus, um, which then enabled this kind of sense that, oh, well, we have to protect the police and that the mm -hmm. police have to have leeway to, like, deal with delinquents and, like, this kind of uh, thing. So like it was a, a combination of the... Oh, yeah, yeah, Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean, I think it was right. a combination of this sort of focus that, like, a kind of right ideology about mm -hmm. crime and mm -hmm. law and order mm -hmm. combined with the fact that there was high concentration of the media owned by the right so that that was the framework that was being So why did they have the early out? win? I mean, that's the more interesting question to me, right? Like the all, human rights. Yeah. Like how do they end up with those early that early win? I mean, I think that this one is also tied to the fact that there was some reform in that this was like that was in that very early post dictatorship period. And I think it was like as much as the as much as the right was going to tolerate was like letting out these political prisoners. Okay. And they tried to like negotiate a bunch of stuff in there. So for maybe it them. had nothing to do with the human rights groups. I think their effect that's, was minimal. That's a one way of reading it is that they weren't at all effective. Well, I mean, they might've been in the sense that I think they were putting pressure on the left coalition to not drop it. And they were putting right. pressure on the left coalition to not take bad deals. Right. So I think they were effective in pushing their own party to live up to its ideals. Mm -hmm. Right? So mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. have this. But then don't push them on anything that actually truly threatens the right. Right. Right? So letting out the political prisoners, there's like 300 political prisoners or it's something, right? It's, it's an easy yes for the right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that costly, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure they didn't like it, but of course, you know of course, no one likes to lose. And I mean, they, of course, you know, the people that committed homicides and whatever, you know, this was were not, you know, some of the sort of political prisoners were let go that were the easier ones that really hadn't, right? You know, right? Truly political prisoners, right? And that some of those political activists that had maybe 
committed more violent crimes. I'm not sure how they're, I mean, they eventually maybe were also let go, but I think that there you mm -hmm. got even. So I think the right, I'm sure, was, you know. I mean, I've got a couple of interesting questions. I don't know if I should hold them. I'll, I'll probably forget them, so let me ask it now. In situations like this, where you're experiencing whatever degree of transition, is, is the left at its most powerful in that moment when the, when the human rights groups are exerting a little bit of pressure on the left? Or does the left strengthen over time? In the Chilean case, I would say that what happens is that the right weakens over time. The right weakens over time without any strengthening. It's not... I mean, like, the left, I think it's really more that the right weakens, that you actually have uh -huh. a decent left coalition okay. Okay. that comes into power. And actually, I think it is the left's savvy that keeps them so centrist and pragmatic to right. not have another overthrow. Right. Right. I mean, right. I, I, I actually think that they, the left is being very disciplined Mm -hmm. It's a coalition that includes the socialists from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So you have a broad mm -hmm. spectrum. You have at the top of the ticket the centrists initially. Then you have some more socialists sort of coming in later, but that are still very much pulled to the center. And, I mean, I think it's both why their accomplishments were so limited on things like inequality uh -huh. and justice and right. some of that stuff for the dictatorship. Um, but I also think it's why there was stability. Right. Right? So I think it's hard to talk about... I mean, this isn't my case in particular, but like my sort of very sort of... So I guess I'm, I'm, understanding, I'm understanding then your interpretation of this... of this early event where the political prisoners are released. Mm -hmm. Like, that we shouldn't make too much of that as, as really, that that's not real, that's, that's, I don't know what that is. I, I guess mean, I'm, I I'm having a hard time understanding that. I think, it, I think it matters, but I think we see overall that the human rights groups after that moment are unable to do anything. Mm -hmm. That that was... That was all. So another. So I guess we should understand that then, in part, as the right continuing to assert its power. Yes. Right. Rather than being forced to concede something, that this is a moment where the left gets something it's it wants, but largely because the right is still in control. Or, or on this one, I think not because of it, but right. It's one that the right is just willing to concede. Okay. I think if this had been pushing for trials of generals, there'd have been no way, no matter how many people were in the streets, that this would have had any okay. effect, right? So yeah. it was a winnable thing for politicians that wanted to put forward a due process agenda that didn't threaten directly mm -hmm. the military. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Um... This is my last one. All right, so now we're moving from political opportunities, and I kind of condensed this one into one card, but we could talk about 
breaking this one out a little bit more. Well, definitely we're talking about this is what, resource mobilization? Yeah, here we're going to talk about, I think he calls it blame the actor or blame the movement or something like this. You call it internal weaknesses in the human rights groups. Yeah. After the transition, this is from pages 165 to 169. You have condensed quite a lot. This is a short card, four pages covered. Yeah. Uh, After the transition, important groups dissolved and others fractured. Those that remain ended up frozen organizations not receptive to new and emerging conflicts in society. So, I mean, one of the crucial things that happens, first thing, empirically, Mm -hmm. is that the human rights branch of the Catholic Church just closes up shop. They're like, we're cool, like the dictatorship's done. Weird. Um, Why? I mean, the I guess the dictatorship was done. The dictatorship so was they, done. They like saw their role as being done. So the most powerful organ of the human rights movement under the dictatorship was the church. Was the church, and that church kind of cedes that role, assuming that democratic institutions are now gonna sort of serve that function. That's really interesting. That that to me is a fascinating. That's got to be a fascinating story. It must be a fascinating story. That must have to do with church politics. I would guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds to me like that would be. I mean, the Catholic Church has always had this weird. They're weird. You know. That's right. I mean, but it strikes me that that must, I mean. I mean, who knows what bishop comes and go, right? Exactly. I mean, That's like, what this I mean. is like, yeah. Right. That it's super fascinating or what kinds of what particular part of the, the, um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about this. It's completely conjectural here. But like, I mean, and they may have also felt like, oh well, to like make stability, we step back. You know, as this like role in destabilize, you're you know undermining the dictatorship. Now we like, right, can return to just our faith, and that'll keep the you know we want to be separate from politics. And I don't know, I don't know and what that individual was all about. burnout for could be possibly. I don't you know, know, I mean. But in any case, that gets dismantled. So that's one huge thing, right? Love that. And then the human rights groups that are left have a little bit of this problem of the do we become insiders or stay outsiders? So how much do we align with the parties? Um, Chile yeah. also, I didn't talk about this, I don't think, on any of the cards, but the parties in Chile are very strong and powerful and lots of stuff happens to the parties. Okay. So those party links become very important to actually gotcha. doing anything. Um but then they also connect you to politics, right? Right. So that, you know. Right. Uh, and then you're also then tied by being pragmatic and having to make compromise in a way that if you're an outsider, you're not. So you have right. some Right, and if you, if you incorporate yourself into the left parties, mm-hmm. then you have incorporated yourself into a system where you were structurally weakened. Right. Right, so you right. have... That's in okay. Right. So it makes sense. So right. So you exchange kind of a long game, right? Of your agenda being attached to a political structure, but you're structurally weak, right? Interesting. In I mean, it's an interesting time, set right? of. I mean, it's an interesting yep. calculus for right. political actors, and that I love. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So then you also have that these guys. This is like a novel. It's amazing, right? These are there. Oh yeah, this is good. They're also middle class for the most part. Professional human rights groups. The human right. rights yeah, groups. Yeah, always right. Um, I mean the whole 
Yeah. And if we're thinking about the new realities of what's emerging in this new Chile post-authoritarian, the repression and police abuse is happening principally on lower class, lower middle class people, neighborhoods, right? right? Which is different than the dictatorship, I assume. Correct. Right, the dictatorship was well, targeting... Well, it was also targeting workers, but also intellectuals, and, you know, right. so you had a mix of, of that, and that there's not necessarily the same kind of political targeting now. I mean, there is. There's repression of protest in Chile, as has been in the news recently. Yeah. Um, well, they then they are no longer vernacular authorities to the people who are... Correct. Right, like they really aren't. So this connected. is that sort of story. Then some places, those groups did reform and like become kind of champions of, mm -hmm. right? But that didn't happen in the Chilean case. So this is that I like his Fuentes' quote that like they're like become these like frozen organizations mm -hmm. where they're stuck in these like fights yeah. from the past without becoming relevant to the like a new constituency in the new kind of landscape of politics. Or social yeah. life, or whatever. No, no, it's right. It, I mean, right? I love this because I think why it gets me so excited is that it reminds me of um, Dewey, John Dewey, mm -hmm. pragmatist political philosopher from the United States, who talks about the way that institutions and political, yeah, political institutions form to solve like really local problems. Right. Right. But they stick around right. sometimes after those problems have been solved because institutions are sticky. Right. But, like, they're just still there. Right. right. And like I mean, they, they could potentially kind of innovate of, and, like, of course, you know, ref of course. reform kind of. But, but they don't have to. They there's don't have no, to. There's no necessary process that right. brings them along because they were oriented toward a problem that has now disappeared. Right. Right. And yeah. so maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Right. Right. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that. And I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting that you call that an internal weakness on that card because it's not necessarily like that problem isn't necessarily a weakness unless you think about your inability to reform. Well, as his a his question was the why do we are they not like vectors for social accountability? Right. Right. And the internal weaknesses, I guess, were. I mean, that failure to reform is why they're not. Right. I right. guess I meant like not, right. that was like not the state, right? That was like right. the it's not at I all. could have called it like right. movement, movement factors, or right. movement factors or something like that, yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, it is a weakness, right? I mean, if you're a political yeah. actor and you can't reform, that's a weakness. It's a weakness, yours. yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely a weakness. Yeah. Like, yeah, and to become a frozen organization seems like a weakness. It's weak. Right? You're it's weak. weak. You're weak. I mean, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You you're just are. You're weak. Even if you were strong yeah. at one point, now you're weak. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. And it maybe takes uncommon strength, but yeah. you're still weak. Yeah. So anyway, so that that's like sort of where Fuentes wraps up. I mean, in the just a quick post note, postscript, postscript, there's uh, been, you know, as everyone in VGS knows, partly because um, Elise is working on a Huge protests about in Chile. that. There's been huge protests in Chile. We read about it a little bit in class. Um, they were even talking about it on an NPR on the weekend in the morning. Really? I think so. Still, I don't know. Well, maybe because Pinera's popularity. We talked about this. You maybe think about when we talked about this for Latin America and the world. We oh. I read you. You read some quotes on Pinera's popularity surging after the protests because of his handling of COVID. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. 
Maybe. In any case, the protests have been a little bit, have been dampened, obviously, because of COVID. So right. there was like mass protests um, right. started off by students. Okay. But that ended up ca calling to question just huge legacies of the dictatorship that have never still been addressed, even with what has been addressed, which has been a mm -hmm. lot happened in the last decade. Um of like greater social programs and like right. all kinds of like, like I said, reform of the, you know, electoral system. Um, but a lot remains undone. And Fuentes, you guys read, who uh, is a, you know, colleague of mine and I see his stuff on the social. Right. The socials. On the socials. Um, is he active on the socials? or Very. Just, he's very active on the and socials. And he's, okay. he's very uh, actively. He's extremely on the internet? No. Uh, Not extremely. Well, he's he's an activist. He's an activist, and he's pushing a constitutional. Is he, is he in Chile? He is. Yeah. Okay. A constitutional convention. He's like a, a constitutional big, convention. Well, Holy that's smokes. what they're. That's where they're going to have, right? That that's part of what's come out of this outcome of these protests is this like to do a constitutional convention. They're and going to have one. They're voting on whether or not it should be half and half, um, like insiders and half citizens or whether the whole thing should be citizens the Shit. convention and fuentes claudio wants uh to be all, all citizens. citizens obviously and why he's is been that doing obvious? all kinds of i don't think that's obvious well because i think that he wants to pull as much away from the insiders in this moment as sure it's possible um but yeah, he's been very he's been very active, and he's written like civics books for children, and he's done cool. like all kinds of dope things in terms yeah. of like his yeah activism in, in Chile. That's like yeah. of a very you know he's an intellectual. He's you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So anyway, so he, there's yeah there's lots of stuff, huh. and and the I didn't even when I was like assigned these chapters, didn't even realize this was Claudio's chapter until I like was reading it for today, and then I was like oh. That's awesome. That's Claudio. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. Um, yeah, That's so that funny. was kind of fun. And, yeah, he's an interesting guy, um, writes still for, you know, I just actually, before I came down, while Joel was playing a little Stardew Valley, I was actually <laughs> reading a op-ed he wrote about the Constitutional Convention for a Chilean newspaper and, like, sort of what's happening with co corona and how, you know, I think he, my guess is all this, people are very worried about whether the corona thing will derail the constitutional convention their work and, and the, the whole yeah. thing yeah i mean it's uh yeah you know huge. it's like the protesters of course are huge. not in the streets because no one can protest because you might get covid and you know like i said pinera's approval ratings this has been like right. the saving Good grace of his administration the carabineros who everybody was hating because they were like blinding protesters are now popular because they're keeping people out of the streets and preventing mm. the spread of COVID. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a, you know, complicated time. What interesting politics. And I mean, I guess then it does seem like a constitutional convention would be an important way to, you know, continue the transition. Yeah, so the constitution right. they have now was written by under Pinochet. Right, right. Um, you would... So it's a very... Yeah. You know, it's oriented toward that and oriented toward protecting yeah. those actors and protecting those institutions. Yes, correct. That's interesting. That's interesting. 
I still quite can't quite get over why the transition is permitted at all. I mean, I guess that's really the question. When I'm asking about the question... Well, he comes... So, I mean, I don't know. This is... I. We could maybe talk about this not on the podcast since... Um, I don't know how long it's we've not been relevant. Um, but I mean, like, part of the answer to this is that he actually survives well past all the dictatorships in the region minus Mexico. Okay. Um, like, all of these other dictatorships have fallen, and the being a dictator... A, like human rights abusing dictator becomes falls a bit out of fashion, right? The Cold War ends, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. and Pinochet is still there. And so he's going. To, he's losing a bit of international support. He's losing a bit of international support, at least actively. If you know, he booches a couple things that make the U.S. kind uh -huh, of less uh -huh. excited. Right. Um. There's like a scandal where I think he assassinates someone in the U.S. that like come, you know, it's like Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it was the I can't remember the whole details. It was this guy Orlando Letelier, I think you would say. Mm. Anyway, I don't know. So it was like this big thing. It was a kerfuffle, and then um, he also just misjudges, and you actually see this happening a lot with mm. these dictators that stand for election, where they got you think they're going right. To win. Like, right. they can't imagine right. that they won't win. Right. So he has this record. Uh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, this is makes, the, remember the so movie, I don't know, dude, this is the, the so thing where, where the campaign for the no, and it's like, basically, he has this, the first election is just, should he stay or not for mm -hmm. another X amount of years? And he's sure he's going to win. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he loses. Like, the opposition actually, like, manages to, like, run this campaign and get people. And, I mean, I think that there was a reason to think that he would win partly just out of fear that people didn't right. believe the ballot was secret. Of course, and like, of course. You know, but but so he gets the referendum. He loses. There was enough, I think, monitoring mm -hmm. that he couldn't fake it after mm -hmm. the fact. And he, of course, had plenty of time before the actual election. And he actually had to step down to, like, make right. sure everything all right. the ducks were in a that row. Makes, that makes that makes perfect sense. So that makes perfect sense. Also, that help. That's very helpful for me, at least, to understand yeah. a little bit of this managed transition and understand a little bit about how the right is going to give some tiny concession, right, mm -hmm. in the process of this transition as a kind of. I don't know what. Well, then once he steps down, I mean, in the election, I guess, I don't know whether they, there was a, I don't know how competitive that election was after the, that first election where the first president's name is Aylwin. Um, and I don't know how that, hmm. how competitive that election was. Because then, like, you know, it was like first they had to, everybody had to unite in the context of an authoritarian regime to campaign to not, re not like, accept Pinochet to stay. Right. And then there had to be another election, right, where it was like a different right-wing candidate competes with the right. left to win that election. Um, and I know more about the referendum, that yes-no vote, than I do about the election itself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So in some, it's dangerous to... Um, it's a, it, it does lasting damage to have authoritarians in charge of your institutions. Yeah, it's not so good. 
But I think Santa. also in some for the purposes of uh, this, what we've been talking about is that social accountability can be hindered by institutions, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah. think what we see here, and I think what's also important here is that sense that we've seen social accountability like marginally effective, kind of effective, and here we see it really being completely ineffective in part because that kind of institutional framework is providing such a barrier to right. um, having that social accountability work, at least in this area, right? It's not to say that it couldn't have worked in something else potentially, but like here we see this is just mm -hmm. a really important social problem that is unable to be dealt with either institutionally or by social accountability right. structures. Right, right. I mean, and that seems like the perfect place to close every political science podcast, <laughs> Institutions Matter. Institutions Matter. Right, I mean, that's... Yeah. That's the fundamental the fundamental lesson. Indeed. All right, guys. All right. Uh, hope you are enjoying week seven of your um, lockdown wherever you are. Uh, we certainly are. And um, Joel says as he lies. Yo, yeah, I'm totally lying. But you know what? <laughs> but we hope um, you're okay. We do hope you're okay. We hope your families are okay. Yes. We hope course. your mental health is holding up okay. Yes, we hope you get outside. That we seems to be to get outside. critical. It was for me this weekend. Yeah. All right. We will talk again later this week. All right. Bye-bye.